The World Health Organization designated 2020 to be the year of the nurse and midwife. The year is to celebrate their role, to celebrate their contribution, to recognize and respect what they do, but also to take action. But then COVID-19 intervened and changed everything. Their oxygen saturation is in like the low 80s or like mid 80s. It's crazy. It's crazy how fast this disease They used to call Florence Nightingale the lady with the lamp because she would walk the wards, checking on her patients at all hours of the day and night, a constant presence at their bedside. 200 years after Nightingale's birth, nurses are still at their patient's side. On today's program, a conversation with three nurses about the strengths of their profession and the challenges and joys of nursing, especially during a global pandemic. That's coming up on the Hear Me Now podcast from the Providence Institute for Human Caring. Hello, I'm Sean Collins. Thanks for spending time with us today. We find strength in nursing as a team. We, we show up with a lot of integrity and the public knows that. We really do share a special bond with the people that we work with, not just the other nurses, but the doctors and the therapists and the social workers, everyone coming together to help a family. And so you develop this very fast bond because we see things that most people don't see. In doing so, that you develop this very quick unspoken bond among your colleagues. Our constant presence is felt, is known, uh, and it makes an impact. I don't know of anybody in my friendship circle that hasn't been touched by a nurse at some point in their life. He's right. We've all been touched by a nurse. COVID-19 dominated 2020. It put on hold celebrations for the year of the nurse, even as nurses spent the year working extraordinarily hard under extraordinarily tough conditions. But we didn't want this year that marks Florence Nightingale's bicentennial to end without acknowledging the critical role of nursing in healthcare and the role nurses play in care throughout the world, one person at a time. So we want to spend today's program talking about nursing, about the profession, its attractions, its challenges, and its rewards. I'm joined by three nurses, all with extraordinary clinical experience and insight, and with the added gift that they have, each of them, found a voice as a nurse and have used that voice to educate, to improve systems in their workplace, to advocate for inclusion and compassion, and always, always to improve patient care. Sarah Thompson has spent her career caring for newborns. She's in the NICU at the Providence Portland Medical Center. Sarah, welcome. Thanks, Sean. Bennett Pendleton has worked in the emergency department and now cares for patients in the PACU, the post-anesthesia care unit of Providence Portland Medical Center. Hi, Bennett. Welcome back to the program. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. And also with us is Syl Trepanier. After years of clinical leadership in Southern California, Syl has just been named the chief nursing officer for Providence. Syl, welcome. Thank you so much, Sean. It's good of you all to join us. Uh, Let's begin at the beginning. What drew you to nursing? Well, Sean, I'll start us off. um, When I was seven years old, my dad was diagnosed with a very late onset of uh, diabetes. I would see him so sick and I felt like I, there's something I needed to do and I couldn't do it. Of course, I was a kid. There's nothing I could do, but I wanted to do something. And as soon as he came back from the hospital, it felt like weeks, but it's probably a few days. He came back with all sorts of gidgets and widgets and things he needed to do to analyze his urine. I mean, I kind of date myself here, but those were the years prior to the glucometer as we know them today. He had to test his urine every day and really got into it with him and learn how to give him his injection 
Um, I was not even 10 years old. And I, I just knew, I, I just knew it. I just knew that I needed to do something to help others. And, and the journey just started there for me. This is Bennett. I feel like in some regards, instead of me choosing nursing, that nursing chose, chose me. Um, I grew up in a family in a small town where my father was a family physician and there were four kids in four years in my family and we would drive my mom crazy during the week. So on the weekends when he would go to do rounds at the hospital, he would take all of us with him. And this is pre-HIPAA when the stuff was still allowed, but we would, we would go do rounds with him in the ward at the, at the small hospital and we would climb up in people's bed and they'd let us eat their crackers and drink their apple juice. And so I was never scared of hospitals from that sense. But then my earliest memories of when I was three and four, I remember going and getting band-aids for my friends if they would fall down and scrape a knee. I remember like fairly large emergencies happening in front of me pretty regularly throughout my childhood. That has not seemed to change throughout my adult life either. Um, I just always happened to be in the right place at the wrong time, I guess, um, in some in some sense. I feel like nursing is the best way that I'm able to provide care for the whole person as a sense of the bedside aspect of really caring for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just really appeals to me to be able to sit with somebody and spend time with them when they need it. I agree with that. Um, and I think it was my kindergarten teacher said that I would become a future nurse because I was also going around always bandaging up friends and, um, trying to comfort people who had hurt themselves on the playground. But when I actually decided to look into nursing as a career, um, my mom was a nurse and she actually tried to talk me out of it. I think she had concerns that nursing was really hard, <laughs> which it is. And she told me that if I really seriously thought that I wanted to become a nurse, that I needed to go get a job and work at a nursing home. So that's what I did. I worked as a nurse's aide in a nursing home and I loved it. I loved the stories that the people would tell me about their lives. I loved helping them and nursing really is just the perfect career that combines my love of science with my desire to help people through difficult times in their lives. And I'm really glad that this was the career that I chose. You know, I reflected on that last night and a story came to mind. Um, recently we had a, a family in our unit and just a month before the birth of their baby, they had lost their older child in an accident. And it was really traumatic for them to be in an ICU setting. And on their day of discharge, we had a baby across the hall from them that wasn't doing well and needed um, needed to be transferred to a higher um, level of care. And we didn't want this family to have to witness that trauma happening at the same time um, that they were going to be leaving the unit. So, you know, I think one thing that nurses do that, um, that patients probably never know about is you know, coordinating efforts to care for them, to ease their way that they'll probably never even know about. And, you know, in this situation, we coordinated, we brought in the pediatric transport um, people through a back door. And at the same time, I walked out um, my family through the other door. And so we hopefully spared them some some pain um, of having to witness that. And, you know, so I think some of those little things that nurses do are are the best things that we do and really capture what's at the heart of nursing. Yeah, that's profound. I'm interested in the notion of spending time at the bedside. I'm wondering what that means in terms of a building a rapport with your patient, but also being able to monitor your patient, keep an eye on them, sort of see subtle changes in your patient. How important is being there? I've worked in an emergency room setting for 10 years prior to going to the PACU, and the nurses are the ones that catch pretty much everything. If the nurse doesn't see that the vital signs are trending towards sepsis, for instance, the doctor wouldn't know because they, they have so many patients at one time that they can't be in the room trending vital signs. They, they just are unable to. Nurses are kind of the link 
that if that link is missing, that everything falls apart um, and everything gets missed. You can stare at vital signs, you can look at lab results, you can look at all of this stuff in a chart and on paper, but if you're not looking at the patient, you're going to miss something because everything might look okay on paper, but your patient is starting to crump and you don't know because you're not going to be there to catch it. It's a vital, vital aspect of the healthcare in general is to be at the bedside. And I think that it's important to recognize that not everybody's job allows for that to happen. And one of the blessings of nursing is that that's, to some extent, the definition of our job is to bring science to the bedside. Sarah, you have an experience where you noticed something going on with a patient that wasn't really being caught by others. Could you tell us that story? Yeah, we had a baby that came into our NICU. Um, he was a term baby, and he came in for low blood sugar, which is pretty common reason to come into the NICU. And so it's usually treated with you know, IV frequent feedings and um, IV fluids. And we had a really difficult time getting this baby's um, blood sugars to stabilize. So they'd he'd look good for a few checks, and then it would drop down again. And so I was in the room a lot, taking care of him, adjusting the IV fluid rates. And I, what I noticed is that he was um, a, a really irritable baby. He he really wasn't interested in eating. He, um, he didn't even want to take a pacifier. And so I started wondering if he could be sick. Um, but he had had a screening done that all of our newborns get that, um, that screens for sepsis at birth. And his risk score for that was low. Um, and so the, the general feeling was that, you know, it was just a blood sugar issue, that it, it wasn't that he was sick. Um, but as time went on, we ended up um, at one point needing to put in a central line through his um, an umbilical catheter um, because he needed such a high concentration of IV fluids, um, dextrose in his IV fluids. And so we um, we were able to draw some labs at that point, um, which um, I had asked the physician if we could get to check um, to check to see if he had any infection. And sure enough, that came back showing that he um, had an E. coli infection, um, which left untreated could have been um, very serious for him. So in your leadership role, is there a responsibility for creating an environment where nurses are empowered to speak up about patient care? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, first and foremost, the role of a nurse leader is to, you know, remove those barriers, but also creating an environment that empowers uh, the nurses to be able to speak up, the nurses and the entire healthcare team for that matter. We, we all know that in environments where uh, people are able to freely say um, when something just is just not right, doesn't feel right, doesn't see right, uh, that that's the safest environment for, uh, for our patients. I'm also struck by what both Bennett and uh, Sarah have been sharing with us. And, and, and they're so, I mean, such good ex examples when we're talking about, you know, the, the bedside moments. Yeah. Those people that are being brought into, in this case, in an acute care environment, a hospital setting, they're being sent there by physicians, providers, and the likes because of one thing only, and and that's to get that that bedside nursing care. Otherwise, there would be no reason for them to send them into this uh, this building. So, you know, Bennett said it really well. We don't treat the chart. We don't treat the lab work. In fact, if we do that, uh, there's something that can very easily go wrong. We always treat the patients. I'd like to tell you a personal story. I had a coronary artery bypass graft surgery done about six years ago and spent about seven days in the ICU following that and then spent time on the cardiac step-down unit. And there was a nurse in the step-down unit who came to me on a Sunday afternoon and basically said, you know, Mr. Collins, it's time for you to take a bath. And she brought a basin of hot water and soap and about a thousand <laughs> washcloths and taught me how to give myself a bath sitting in a chair. 
I think what I wasn't really aware of was how afraid I was of this sternotomy in the middle of my chest and an equally gaping wound in my left arm where the radial artery graft had come from. And I was afraid to touch my own body. And she, she knew that. And that's why she wanted to get me up in a chair to give myself a bath just so I could spend 40 minutes touching my body and realizing that I wasn't going to fall apart. It was a sunny, beautiful day. I remember the sun sort of streaming in through the window. At the end of the bath, I called for her and she came and I, I thanked her. And I said, you know, I, I really got a lot out of that. I am not afraid to touch these wounds anymore. And she looked up at me and said, I know. <laughs> she was taking care of me in a way that I didn't realize that nurses were capable of taking care of somebody. Like there was a very profound psychological understanding of what it meant to recover from heart surgery. And it had nothing to do with my heart. It had everything to do with my head. Yeah. And she knew that. One of the most important things that we do in NICU as nurses is help new parents to be able just to reach out and touch their own child. And, you know, that seems so strange that you'd think after the birth of your, you know, baby that you'd, um, you'd be ready to hold them right away. But in the case of preterm babies, especially your babies that require critical care and have tubes coming out of everywhere. And um, I mean, that is extremely um, scary for new parents. And so there's so much time that we spend with families just helping them to become comfortable with just laying hands on their baby, comforting their baby, um, learning to hold their baby skin to skin. And, and these things aren't just because we want them to bond. I mean, it, it is for that reason, but it's also because this is critical for the baby's well-being too. Our babies need that touch from their parent um, to get better. You know, I dare say, Sean, that what, what's being described for us here, in my mind, is the huge differentiator between nurses and other healthcare professionals. It's our our ability to demonstrate whole person care. I think Bennett may have used that terminology earlier, but that, that's what that reminds me of, of our ability to, to do just that. Bennett, we've been talking about finding a voice, and this is your second appearance on the podcast, so I know that you have found a voice advocating for trans patient health. I want to ask you about that. As a nurse, was it difficult to find that voice? Yeah, just in you bringing that up, my palms get sweaty. <clears throat> um, it's exceptionally difficult. So I transitioned in 2016, and it ended up being more publicly than I had planned on it at work. It's a Catholic hospital. At the time, I was working in the emergency department, and I was um, a charge nurse. Like I said before, a lot of bad things happen around me, so... Um, for instance, um, Sarah, I, I've delivered eight babies in the ER. <laughs> Just women walk in and babies fall out. It's crazy. Um, uh, the last, a couple of the code silvers where people come in with weapons happened on my shift. The joke was that anytime I called my manager during the middle of the night, it was because we, we were going to be on the news in the morning, and I just wanted her to know. Then if you correct me up, I practiced all these years in the ER, and I've never de de delivered a baby, by the way. <laughs> I know. So the rest of the department has delivered, combined, less babies than I have. Um, so, yeah. So when I talked earlier on about nursing finding me, I mean, I, I feel like at some point in my career, I probably will end up in the NICU because I feel like... <laughs> Some higher power is is sending me in that direction. Um, I have to admit, when the NICU started at Prof Portland, and it's just two stories above the ER, I felt way better about that because it's just right there. Um, we come running. So, yes, now a lot of those happened before the NICU was was created, and uh, labor and delivery is on the other side of the hospital, so the running took a while longer. Um, so anyway. 
I was it, when I came out as trans. Um, this the now CEO of the hospital at the time was the COO, and she happened to be in the department in the emergency department when I came out to my staff, which was a very pre-planned thing on my part with my manager and director involved. But she came down to discuss something else that was happening in the hospital, and so I was like, "Oh, okay, I guess we're going um, going big quickly." So I had a really hard time, and I stepped down from charge nurse so that I didn't have to go outside of my department in the hospital and have other people know. Um, I just felt like I was under this microscope. And as I became more comfortable with myself, I was able to realize that there was this gaping hole of education among staff members of caring for patients who are trans. There's, you know, there's a different area of science surrounding it. There's different lab work that needs to be done that needs to be interpreted a little bit differently. There's different concerns when a patient comes into the emergency department um, in regards of like what could possibly be going on with this patient depending on what medicines they're taking at this time. And I realized that there was this hole and I didn't want to have to be the one to fill the void to educate others because in doing so, I out myself every single time. And it took me probably a year and a half to become more comfortable with myself and in my own skin to realize that if I wasn't going to do it, then nobody would to some extent. And so I decided to step up and start educating. And then it just happened kind of by word of mouth that something happened at another Providence hospital where Somebody came into an emergency department, was treated um, unfairly. They were a transgender person. They were treated unfairly. And so the, they talked to quality management about it. Quality management decided that there needed to be a required education for the department. And so one of my friends at the time was uh, one of the regional educators. So she was tasked with providing education. And she's a cisgender white nurse she was like, well, I can provide education, but I don't know much about the topic, but let me phone a friend. And so she reached out to me and, and I decided that I would go ahead and go with it. And then just one thing led to the next. And as I say, when I do education, I would rather have an hour with the nursing staff face-to-face where we can talk about this, where staff can ask questions of somebody who's lived through the experience and who is trans and didn't just do some research and is bringing in research but who has a lived experience and also has a nursing background, instead of having the nurse ask the patient, because the patient's already in a state of crisis by being in the hospital for whatever reason they're there. Something's going on with them. They're worried about their medical condition, and they shouldn't have to educate staff on what it means to be transgender and the different things they need to look for. There's a statistic that over half of people who identify as transgender have had to educate their healthcare providers um, and I feel like I can bridge the gap between being transgender and being a healthcare provider. So it's really difficult. It's every time that I do a presentation, I get very sweaty and nervous ahead of time, um, a little sick to my stomach, etc. But then afterwards, by the end of that hour, whether it's to five people or 400 people, I feel stronger, like okay, this is worth it. This is why we're doing this. This is why we're educating. Because nurses as a whole want to care for others by nature. That's, that's, that's our definition. And so, um, you know, everybody has good intentions and just as a matter of giving them a safe environment to, to ask questions that, that they might not feel comfortable asking elsewhere. So it takes a personal toll, but also just like caring for patients, you have somebody that dies and it, it takes a big toll, but also it's the most rewarding thing at the same time. Um, you know, if you, if you make that clean save where you truly save a patient, then it's worth it, even just once. You must feel gratified that you're making a difference in people's lives. Yeah, it's hard to get, it, for me, it's hard to think like that. And when it's pointed out, I can really be like, you know what? That's true. I, I do make a difference. Um, but it's difficult in the nursing field, especially in the time of COVID, to feel like it's enough. Hmm. 
you know, the challenges are never ending. And instead of taking it from the big picture of like, is this truly enough to really take it down of like, you know what, that one patient on that Wednesday, I changed the course of their life. So that's enough then. Um, Or, you know, I made it easier for somebody who's trans to come seek emergency health care in a setting that they might not feel comfortable with otherwise, because the staff is educated, the staff feels comfortable, the patient then therefore receives better care and a more comfortable experience. That's such important work that he's focusing on. And I think that's, that's another strength of nursing is that we come to this profession, you know, from all different life experiences and, and there's people that can, you know, see a need, um, like that. Um, and that's fantastic that he's, um, he's been able to, to fill in a piece there that, that was missing. I'm reminded of a Florence Nightingale quote, love life while you have it. Life is a splendid gift. There's nothing small about it. People think that we're making small changes. And in fact, they're huge changes, I think. I've noticed over the course of my nursing career that I feel like it's changed, at least, and I don't know, I I think it's overall in nursing, that has changed more from giving meds, treating the symptoms, taking care of that that instant thing, to really focusing on the patient as a whole, like we talked about, and how can I guide this patient through whatever is going on right now to the next step to send them off and let them fly, like you know, parents holding babies in the NICU you're not just treating just the baby and taking care of the baby and helping them get to be, you know, old enough to, to graduate out of the NICU. You're teaching the parents to be able to go home and then nurture this child through however long they are at home. And I think that I feel like nursing has changed from treating the moment to treating the future um, during just in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. And I really enjoy that. I, I think that that's something that keeps me in nursing that it's continually changing. And at this time, I feel like we're able, with all of the hardships that are occurring, that we still have these moments where we're able to kind of help people grow overall. Right. We're talking about nursing today on the program, and we're always interested in hearing from you. Write to us at humancaring at providence.org. When we come back, we'll talk about the pandemic and the impact it's had on nurses' lives. That's coming up in a minute. Stay with us. You're listening to the Hear Me Now podcast. I'm Sean Collins. My guests are nurses. Let's talk about um, your experience during this pandemic. 2020 has must have just been an incredible year for you all. It has been. Um, in the beginning of pandemic, we found out that our unit was going to be closing um, to become an adult COVID unit. And I was working, it was a Friday, we found out Friday afternoon, and by Saturday, we had transferred out our patients, and we had inventoried every single piece of equipment and moved out of the unit by um, late Sunday. We really had to learn to adapt to this completely unexpected situation. You know, what Sarah just described is, you know, individuals had to 
make decision to uh, respond to a community needs in a way that we've never had to respond before. Everything was new. The number of patients was new. The fact that we, our entire supply chain with equipment completely changed, medication. Uh, it's unheard of to practice in the United States of America and I don't have enough of something, really. <laughs> um, we weren't prepared for that. We weren't ready for that. And it really didn't matter where you practice, whether you were touching patients every day or uh, sitting in a, an office, figuring out and making decisions with others about the, the course of action and implementing plans that were always theoretical and, and now it's, it got real in a split second. I've used the following analogy a lot and probably overused it, uh, and, and I can't think of any other way of explaining it, but we were building the plane as we were flying it. Wow, that's quite an image. And that's how it felt. <laughs> to add to that image, then your family is all on the plane. You know, things were changing minute by minute. It's stuff that we've never seen in medicine and healthcare before. And all the time, you're supposed to balance this job that's your calling that you're that you've done for a long time and that you know how to do and on a tuesday you were good at it and then on wednesday everything changed and then you have to go home and take care of your family and convince your family that you'll do everything you can not to get them sick but that we don't know what we're doing because this is all brand new and um to have this so much sense of unknown this was the first time in, in my career, and I think in a lot of people's career, that we're unable to turn it off when you come home because it's affecting all of us continuously, whether we're at work or not at work. And trying to care for your community and care for yourself and care for your family when everybody is leaning on um, the healthcare field, it, it was a lot, and it still is a lot. And at the beginning, it was great. We were getting food. We were getting celebrated. People were cheering for us at 7 p.m. at night. It, you know, it was these little things that kind of kept you going. When Just when you feel super down, then, you know, my wife would send me a picture of the kids with pots and pans cheering on the front porch, and then she'd pan around to the neighborhood, and all of our neighbors were out cheering. And it keeps you going for another day. And then all of that celebration peters off, and yet we're still facing the same demons. Even just, you know, wearing masks and face shields and all the, the layers of protection that we now need to have in our daily 12-hour shift. Um, and, you know, it's essential. And we're months into this and getting used to it, I suppose. But it also has just created this additional barrier between, between you and your patient. Hmm. And, um, you know... It's, it's hard because I feel like we all kind of look the same. And, you know, I wonder sometimes if my families even know, you know, can tell me apart from the nurse that took care of them yesterday. Um, and, and it really does create a, a barrier to effective communication. Um, our unit recently was lucky enough to receive some clear masks um, for some of our families. And it's just remarkable what a difference it makes when you have, um, you know, someone put on a clear mask and you can see their face again and you can see them smile and, and react. And um, it, it just makes a huge difference. And so as nurses, we really just, just miss being able to, you know, touch people without gloves and, um, and, and have facial expressions and, um, you know, emotions that are, you know, easier to decipher um, without masks. So it's, um, that's been an additional challenge. You know, there's been a lot of talk recently about what post-COVID life is going to be like in this country. I'm curious what, what you think post-COVID nursing care is going to be like. I mean, is it, is it obvious to you all that you're going to go back to being able to have contact with patients without being gloved? Or do you think there's a chance that this will have changed the landscape a little bit about how patient care is carried out? 
I worry about I worry about that a lot. I wonder if I will spend the rest of my career in a mask. Um, and I don't want to, um, for the reasons I just described. And mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, how realistic that is. And, um, but I think it's a possibility for us that we have to think about. Syl, do you have any insight? I want to believe that we won't have to, um, I, when I think about uh, and and I and when I hear Sarah say that I um, there's a piece of me that as equally worried as she is and at the same time I um, I want to believe in and I, I think that there's um, a, a body of science that's starting to uh, to emerge that leads us to believe that you know perhaps one day we won't have to. And, and when, I, when I think about, well, number one, a year ago at this time, you and I didn't even know it existed, let alone what it looked like. And we were catapulted in this world. It hit us hard right in late February, early March, and here we are still in it. And we didn't know anything about it. And we are weeks away for, from perhaps some people already starting to get some vaccines. Now that is just unheard of. You know, I think that this might, this might have been something that has changed healthcare forever and ever, um, because we've never seen anything like this. When I, when this first started, I got moved back to the emergency department, and when I left the ER, you know, after so many years there, you can sit in the triage desk at the front desk and somebody walks in the door and before they speak, you can kind of get a sense of how sick they are and what might be going on with them. We play the sick versus not sick thing, like, and I had somebody walk in and I saw them and they did not look sick to me and their oxygen saturation was 76%. Wow. And it was something that these symptoms were things that we had never seen before and we're getting better at it now that we're months into it. But this has just been so different than anything that we've ever encountered in our lifetimes. Um, and I don't know that people that are working the front lines right now will ever be able to lose that sense of hypersensitivity about everything. Um, and that, I think that this will change the course of nursing based off of burnout as well. That there will be people that are no longer able to be nurses because of the things that they've seen over the past nine months or a year. How have all of you dealt with issues of fatigue and not just physical fatigue, but mental fatigue and sort of emotional fatigue? I think that it really helps to have a close group of coworkers um, because you, you have to have somebody that you can talk about um, these things that are happening at work with. And, you know, we're able to find moments of humor in all of it, um, which really helps all of us to cope. So personally, I've also just tried to take better care of myself to, I try to practice yoga more often, um, and just take those moments with my family being here at home, um, and, and try and just shut work off when I'm not there. Yeah, same. Sometimes the stress wins, um, and you just, Try to keep it as at bay as much as you can. And it goes back to feeling like you're working with a family, not with coworkers. You start to lean on each other um, for support during these times of stress. And thankfully, they're seeing the same things that you're seeing. And so sometimes you don't even need to say anything. And you can just tell what, you know, get the sense that what they need. But it's hard because oftentimes what people need is a hug. And that's not necessarily a possibility any longer. Yeah, that's really um, hard actually to to yeah. not be able to have that kind of physical contact. Yeah, and high-fiving your coworkers and hugging your coworkers and saying hello to people in the hallway, down in the cafeteria. You have a mask and then a face shield. By the time you say hello, the person has already walked past and they can't hear you anyway because they're wearing the same yeah. stuff. <laughs> so, and you can't just, you can make eye contact, but you can't smile at people any longer um, because people don't know if you're smiling or not, wearing all those stuff. It's really hard to hear through some of that PPE too. Yeah, when, um, we wear the capper units, and um, you know we're trying to communicate with each other, and we're yelling because you just can't hear through all of that. Yeah, there's somehow the I'm going to call it the elbow bump has nothing 
it, it doesn't have the same feeling as a high five. It's just <laughs> so uh, true. <laughs> it's just it just doesn't uh, just it doesn't do it. You know, it, listen, I, I I I I see it, uh, it everywhere. Um, everywhere in healthcare that the, you know, the biggest challenge is that people are tired. Uh, we, we knew from the get go, this was not a race. It was a marathon, but let me tell you, this is the longest marathon ever. You know, one thing that I, that I do notice is, um, you know, nurses are extremely resilient, but it's, it's, it's about giving ourselves the permission to feel the way we feel and to say what we feel. I, th I think that if anything, um, it's okay to just say, you know what, I just feel like crap right now. And it's fine. And, and let's say it, let's embrace it. And, uh, and maybe we can't embrace each other physically, but we certainly are able to embrace each other uh, emotionally uh, by just being there for one another. And I see a lot of that. And to a certain extent, I know that that uh, is what keeps people going. Certainly is what's been uh, helping me. And, and we can't underestimate uh, some of what both Sarah and Bennett has shared, but the, the whole concept of uh, self-care and recognizing uh, that we all have our limits and it's okay and let's recognize them and... Uh, and let's take care of each other. You know, traditionally, education has been part of nursing. And I'm wondering what you all have done with this sort of anti-science mood that has gripped part of the country and pitted itself against public health concerns. I have hope that things will be depoliticized, that mask wearing should not be a political issue ever ever, ever. And I don't understand how it got there. And I hope that it will be depoliticized here shortly. I love the fact that the ex-presidents have offered to get vaccinated on live television. And every nurse I've spoken with is like, sign me up. I will take whatever vaccine I can get first. Give me seven of them. I don't care. Um, and I'm hoping that society as a whole can that we as nurses can lead by example or we as the healthcare profession can lead by example and that the rest of society can watch and see through our eyes what we've been seeing what we've been exposed to and i just hope that we can reach herd immunity sooner than later you know it's this isn't something new this rejection of um you know, like the mask wearing issue that um you know people don't believe certain information or believe other information that comes off the internet. Um, we've been, we've been dealing with this for years in NICU with, with parents that don't want to have their children vaccinated with parents that don't want to give their children vitamin K at birth. Um, and so it's something that um, comes up for us a lot. And, you know, education is the key. And most of the time, when we take a minute to sit down with a family, understand where they're coming from um, and what their concerns are, um, you know, they usually are open to hearing facts um, and, and hearing, um, having an opportunity to ask questions. And a lot of the time they will change their minds and they'll um, agree to to go forward with vaccinating their child or getting that vitamin K shot um, when they when they really have an opportunity to to be educated about it and and feel heard. You know, when when this uh, when this crisis started, um, we were probably a few weeks into it. Um, I was struggling a lot with what the media was portraying, with the fact that. Um, facts were not facts anymore if you will and uh and 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 the whole uh, you know bennett said it very well for for some reason not quite sure exactly how we got there but it became so political and and really uh, and, and i was really aggravated by that in fact i wrote a blog about that and, and uh, it was something about the fact that there really is only one enemy here and it's COVID 19 people 
let's get real here. There's a there's a sense of responsibility I find that um, that that we have as nurses and and all healthcare professionals have, and quite frankly, everybody in society, we all have a responsibility to go to the source of what you know factually. What what is it that I'm being shared? Um, there's 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 been so much second, third, fourth source information that's so distorted uh, and that people take it at face value. And, and I, I struggle with that. That's, that's the part that, where I struggle the most. So, so how, I, how I manage this in, in, in my messaging and, or in our, my communication in, in the communities where I live, where I'm at, as, uh, where, I, where, I, where I'm known as a nurse, if you will, and where I'm being asked question. I'm very deliberate about sharing the fact and the fir- and the source of the information as opposed to an opinion. And this is where we got sideways is we got so many opinions on top of opinions on top of opinions that really got us where we where we are. Our time together is drawing to a close and I want to ask each of you a pretty simple question which is what made you a better nurse? It's experience, of course, but it's it's continuing education. It's pushing myself to take certification exams. And, um, you know, we, we do practice by evidence-based practice in our unit. And so we're always having a questioning attitude, um, always looking for better ways to do things for our families. All of that has changed me. And then just years of of meeting people from every walk of life and and realizing what um, an important an important meaningful work this is and you know whether it's catching um, you know signs of early sepsis or just teaching a father how to feed his baby um, it's it's work I can be proud of at the end of the day. You know, there's many moments I can still remember the very first time I witnessed the death of a human being. I mean, being there for that individual, for the family, was just overwhelming and fulfilling at the same time. I, uh, I remember the first time I did CPR on a woman in a car. That same woman came back. Uh, she came back a few days later to see me in the emergency department to give me a hug and to thank me. I'll, I'll never forget her face. So these two examples, they just like remind me on how blessed I am to be able to make a difference. There is just no better purpose in life. So no matter how hard my days can be, they're never hard enough to be able to count those blessings in my mind. To echo a little bit about what Sarah said, I think that what makes me a better nurse is continuing to learn. And I think COVID has been a great example of that, that you know, whether you've had one year as a nurse or 50 years as a nurse, that it everything is brand new all over again. And always having an open mind towards education um, and having the education come from scientifically based, you know, peer reviewed, etc. And then there are very few professions where you can experience every kind of person and you're not just seeing them while they have had a shower and gotten dressed and they happen to be at the grocery store that day you're seeing them in some of their best moments you're seeing them in some of their worst moments and it's really a privilege to meet people with where they are in that moment and I think that having an openness to otherness I guess is makes me strive to be a better nurse on a daily basis because I've never had two patients that are exactly alike or two cases that are exactly alike. Everything is changing all the time and um, it's a privilege to work in a field that is continuing to challenge me and continuing to help me grow both as a nurse and as a human being. Well, it's a privilege to spend an hour talking with the three of you and to know that you're making a difference in your communities and in your profession. I'm, uh, I'm so grateful that you took the time to be part of this conversation today. Um, Sarah, Bennett, Sill, thank you 
all so much. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. Bennett Pendleton and Sarah Thompson are both nurses at Portland Providence Medical Center. Bennett currently works in the PACU, the post-anesthesia care unit. Sarah has spent 21 years in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit. Sylle Treprenier is the recently named Chief Nursing Officer for Providence. We will continue our conversations about nursing throughout 2021 as the World Health Organization extends the observance of the Florence Nightingale Bicentennial with the Year of the Nurse and Midwife. Subscribe where you get your podcasts to stay up to date on those episodes. Coming up in uh, just the weeks ahead for Christmas, we'll be talking about the relationship between the Christian doctrine of the incarnation and the tradition of healthcare as a ministry. We'll do that with a combination of music and poetry and conversation, which we think could fit in nicely with your Christmas celebration. Download it and give it a listen. Look for that episode on Christmas Eve. And after the first of the year, we'll talk about the new administration and healthcare and what we all might expect in 2021. The Hear Me Now podcast is a production of the Providence Institute for Human Caring on the web at instituteforhumancaring.org. Our Hear Me Now stories are edited by Allison Jakes and Mike Addis and produced by Scott Acord and Melody Fawcett. The executive producer is Michael Drummond. We have research help from medical librarians, including Heather Martin, Amanda Schwartz, Sarah Viscuso, and Seema Bakta. Our theme music was written by Roger Neal. I'm Sean Collins. Thanks for listening. Be well.